Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that you're supposed to um, keep your sleeping schedule, like I suppose you're not supposed to sleep in, you're supposed to like keep it the same schedule, but I never have any issues falling asleep so I was just if I can't sleep in allow myself to do it I don't know I think that's fine I think like there are so many rules aren't there about these things but I think if you actually take it on a day-by-day basis and listen to your body then that's much more intuitive way of doing it right yeah absolutely and that's um jumping right into it that's why I wanted to have you on because you talk about a lot of helpful nutritional things fitness things but you're also very intuitive it seems like you incorporate a lot of mindfulness and listening to your body and here here's the what research says but also here, here's some practical things to think about and listen to yourself so I appreciate that about your method and what you put on Instagram yeah I think that's just come from like years of um years of trials and tribulations you know years of testing 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 and I think the more there are so many external measures aren't there for health and sleep and wellness and all the rest of it we become so disconnected then actually from what our bodies are actually telling us and i think over time it's probably better to develop more of an internal sense of whether you're hungry or satisfied or whether you're tired or not tired or whether you're up for an intense workout or not rather than having to rely on a sleep tracker to tell you whether you slept poorly or your hrv right. reading to tell you whether you shouldn't shouldn't go hard at the gym today because your hrv is low as well why can't i kind of depict the necessary intensity for myself mm-hmm. um well what and, do you think work- the appeal is there because i i'm get tempted by it too it's like oh you get to do you think people just like to know the numbers and that makes them feel better or yeah i think that i think they're massive safety behaviors to be honest mm-hmm. okay. I, I, and i th- and i think it's i think it's spread from the it's it's bred from the perception that, that there is like a perfect way to do everything mm-hmm. and that it can't be truer in nutrition than it can be for anything else is that everyone's so worried about the perfect way to eat and i think that's because of all of the different like diets out there and all of the mixed messages from the kind of diet community diet mentality um food police that everyone's like well i don't i don't know what i should be eating and when so i just Mm -hmm. need something or someone to tell me what what that is and it just is a safety behavior to feel like you're doing the right thing because you're worried it won't be the right thing and in the world we live in because we're all so busy um and we've got so many distractions you know your phone is a distraction the tv mm-hmm. is a distraction everything is a distraction nobody's checked into how they're feeling at all no and you can go days and days and months and years without ever checking in with yourself really like you can yeah keep on going keep on going and then they feel like the only time people really check in with themselves when they're going like that is when they have a massive health problem 
um, yes. or something like that. And their body's like, you need to stop or we're going to make you stop. And that's when they start checking in a little bit more. Yeah. It's like your body's like, you need to slow down or we will slow you down. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, 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 it, and it's, it's obvious. Like I, I work with so many people who have, uh, you know, disordered eating habits for what, for one reason or another. And a big reason around stress eating or stress drinking is, is that, that inability to slow down and that inability to recognize and then handle stress. You, you'll talk mm -hmm. to these clients who are very clearly quite stressed in a in number of ways. And how, oh, you know, how do you, how do you feel in terms of your sort of stress these days? Oh yeah, fine. Everything's fine. Uh, right. I mean, that's the British answer for everything. But, <laughs> yes yeah it is <laughs> we're America all fine like i'm good everything's good and we say fine a lot too yeah it's like no one i think in america a lot more people have therapists and talk about their feelings a bit more than, than in england but um yeah the, the standard the standard answer is fine but actually it's because we're so wired i think we just have no idea how our bodies feel at all until we start to uh practice checking in and slowing down because yeah. Even when you have a spare five minutes, it's like, oh, I check my phone. What's right. on Facebook? What's on Instagram? What's on TikTok? It's not a case so of something. Like it's just, yeah. it's just right there. And whatever. And for us too, our work is on Instagram half the time mm. and, and whatever yeah. social media. And so you can go on there for one thing, and then you're like suddenly looking at cat videos. How did I get here? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, I, I I came on here to engage, and then <laughs> with 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 like with you know with similar accounts, and now I'm like down this TikTok funnel that I never knew existed. <laughs> right. Yeah. But okay. So one thing I, I first want to ask you, you know, how you how you help people who are struggling with stress when they just say they're fine and they don't check in themselves. But you mm -hmm. also reminded me real quick, personal story. When I, I spent a year in Manchester when I was in school. And cool. so I'll never forget when I went to England and in America, it's, how are you? And England, they say that too. But in England, it's much more common for people to say like you are right. And so, yeah. and if you say that to someone in America, they're like, what? I'm, I'm fine. What do you, is there something wrong with me? And so whenever I went to England and people are like, you were right. It took me a minute. I'd be like, uh, yes, I'm fine. And then, but they like, they say it the same way we say, how are you? It's like a greeting. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything, whatever. But it was just like a double take for so long when I yes. went there. So funny. Yeah. There's a really great, um, I'll, I'll get onto the answer to your question about helping people with stress, but the, there's a really great uh meme about like how guys interact with each other and it's like one nod is like look over there and another nod's like oh check that out and the, the up nod is you're right and the down nod's like hello mate how you doing <laughs> and yeah like we, the answer to you're right is just you're right it's just back it's like it's like a it's greeting the same, it's, exact same it's, back. Yeah, yeah it's 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 not an actual question of how are you doing which it is interesting different colloquialisms isn't it um, one time i answered someone and they were like <laughs> I did not care why <laughs> yeah, I didn't, yeah. you didn't answer. And I was like, Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, with stress it is, it is difficult if, if someone can be quite non, non checked in and also as a coach, you know, you know, you're only taking a guess at that reflection to ask whether that's something, you know, if they're talking to you about a disordered eating practice or a certain habit of snacking or things like that, you might then, um i might lead in with a reflection or a, a leading question as as you know how, how how are you doing how are you feeling in terms of do you feel stressed from work or whatever and they might be like no 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 i feel fine and in the back of your head you're thinking based on 
you're probably relating your own data as well as other clients data think it probably sounds like it's a stress snack but what mm-hmm. i do then is is rather than push that and say like no you definitely are you know i don't want to invalidate their experience yeah it's very you don't much want to tell case. them what they what they think they know you know <laughs> Not at all. And and actually, you know, may, maybe it's not particularly that they're doing it because they're stressed, but there may have been a situation in that day that triggered maybe a certain emotion that then caused that snack. So we, we do something called the break the chain exercise, where it's, it's, it's recognizing that this, this habit or this pattern of eating that they're not a fan of and are looking to change is the last link in a very long chain. And that mm-hmm. chain could have begun earlier that day it could have begun the day before or maybe even a couple of days before and it's looking at what's happened over these few days that may have been out of the ordinary or triggering emotionally in some way or maybe even it was just under eating or restriction or something like that that then led to this event and so it's just asking open-ended questions of how have things been the last few days is there anything out of the ordinary talk to me about things at home or at work or all of these different things and and you then get to a case of a client over time will become much more in tune with how they're feeling on a day-to-day and then the light bulb might switch of like oh yeah you know I I don't actually take that much time to slow down and, and spend quality me time because I'm so busy at work or looking after the kids or with my partner or doing all of these other things I don't actually ever take any time for me and that's mm-hmm. like when the light bulb clicks that there's there might be something awry there with self-care they want to work on yeah absolutely I like the break the chain example um because people will so often they'll have the series of maybe it's like a binge maybe it's overeating whatever and they feel like partly they're, they're in it so you, you as a coach you have the benefit of like looking on the outside and diagnosing things but Secondly, they're just like there and it feels chaotic and they don't know how they got there and they don't realize it could have been a series of things. It usually isn't just one decision or or one event. It's like a lead up of so many different things that combine into that. And I think something for, for people that are going through this, they aren't looking at every single thing that's going on. And when you lay it out for them, I can think it'd be really comforting that it's like, no, you're not just a chaotic mess. You're not just like, this person who has no control over food, there's a lot of reasons why you're doing this. It isn't just because you're broken. So I, I like that example for that reason as well. Yeah, that's a really great point, isn't it? Because when people can almost internalize their feelings, a lot of their identities, can't they? Like, oh, I am mm-hmm. a, an anxious person or I am a binge eater. And they almost tie themselves into that identity, which almost makes them feel like no matter what I do, I can't. I can't ever change this aspect of myself. It's almost like bread within them. Or as you mentioned, they might feel quite low in confidence or ability because it's something that's happened repeatedly that they're, they're struggling to change and and being able to say this, you need to be more self-compassionate. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's normal to struggle with these kind of issues and so many people do, and it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you or that you're not fixable. And you're, as you said, you're not broken. Mm-hmm. It's just a case if we need to dig deeper into all of these complex things that are going on psychologically, behaviorally, uh, all of these things have led to this this safety behavior that you're using, because that's what disordered eating habits are. They are safety behaviors that do solve a problem for the individual. We just yeah. need to work out w- what that problem is, like what's that trying to solve and how can we then work on that in maybe a more constructive way that suits this person's values and their goals. 
Yeah, that is key. It is absolutely solving a problem. It's just maybe not solving it the way you want to solve it for the rest of your life. But it, it, yeah. it is serving a function. And I think when you can see that very clearly, it helps. It helps take the blame off. It helps your understanding, all that sort of stuff. So glad that you said that as well. So switching gears here, first of all, I just kind of threw you into the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone listening. Uh, it's great. Johnny Landells, he's from Next Stop Nutrition. And I brought him on the podcast for all the beautiful things that he just said. But I wanted to ask you, um, I'll save it till the end about like, I kind of wanted to ask you about your fitness journey, but I'm very curious about how do you help clients? Like you obviously work with clients to work on their fitness and their health and nutrition goals, right? But how do you help them do that in a non-disordered way? Where do you draw the line? I think I'm very clear with my messaging, both sort of pre and during client relationships about their mentality and their mindset around our work together, because I'm not, I'm not completely anti uh, diet in the terms that I'm not like anti weight loss. Mm -hmm. I'm not anti anti weight loss for any reason, but I'm very much anti diet mentality. I'm very much against the diet mentality with, with the intuitive eating sort of perspective of the diet mentality, you know, that all diets are focused on restriction, they're focused on rigid rules, they're focused on external control, they're focused on all these things that eventually work against a person, their relationship with food, and their body, you know, their body will rebel. Eventually, that they will delve into overeating or snacking or all these things. And it's like you said, these people come to me almost feeling like they're out of control with food or that they're mm -hmm. broken in some reason they, like they don't understand why they can't get a grip on these things. They're usually quite educated, well-read. They understand nutrition. It's not like they lack the knowledge of what foods they want to eat more of. It's just mm -hmm. the fact that they feel like they've got no willpower or no motivation and don't understand why. And yeah. so I'm very much a case of, look, I'm all for it. If you want to lose body fat, in, in, and and I do do a, a like a five wise exercise and a very deep consultation over how people rate their health and fitness and their eating habits and how actively that they would like to see these things changing so that we start talking about internal motivators and also start talking about action steps rather than just like, oh, I want to lose five pounds because I feel like I'd look better. It's mm -hmm. like we, we, we go deeper than that. And then with these people- pause you real quick because i think this is an yeah, important yeah. topic i with weight loss i'm not anti-weight loss either but i never tell people i work with people specifically who are trying to recover from bulimia and so i never tell yeah. them weight loss should be combined with that it could accidentally happen but you don't mm -hmm. want to combine them when do you feel like it's a like when clients tell you like i just want to look better <laughs> and like is does you think that's a good enough reason to lose weight i guess is my question not not in and of itself no and that's okay. why i would go into that five why exercise to be mm -hmm. like okay well why is looking better important to you and they might say oh because uh i was this weight when i was this age or whatever and i'm like okay well why why do you want to get back there what what's mm -hmm. with that image in your head because it usually boils down to like internal motivators of sort of like confidence or self-esteem or feelings of energy or feelings of vibrance and all the rest of it. And when we can dig into those factors, it's like you can then position the question, well, okay, it's not actually about that weight on the scale then, or even that particular figure. Because I, I had a client recently say to me, 
ah, oh, I look back at myself a couple of years ago and I would kill to look that way again. Yeah, mm. in that instance, I was dieting. I was trying oh, to lose wow. fat. I didn't feel good in myself. And so it's like, so is it actually that figure that you're wanting or is it more of a, you know, what, what do you think that figure or that body image entails for you? And I feel like it's more a feeling of confidence and energy and vibrance. And then you can get into the chat about, you know, working on body image separately anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's a case of um, helping them understand some more internal motivators over why starting to work towards a smaller body is the important thing for them. But while doing, while honoring the relationship with food, you know, to go back to that original question you asked, we don't, we don't go through external controls and rigid rules and all the rest of it. It is very much a case of trying to build internal cues and, and action steps and habits around act, these steps that will help them toward them because my clients don't struggle with their main meals. They struggle with the fact that they have snacking or binging habits. And, mm-hmm. and that comes from a, a, from a place of restriction. Yeah. I, a lot of my clients, they will be pretty normal throughout the day with meals. And then like later at night is when all hell breaks loose and all that sort of stuff. But I appreciate you saying the weight loss thing too. Um, because I agree. It usually they say, I just want to look better. I just need to get there. And it's, it comes from a place of, well, when I get there, I'll feel this way. And that may be true, but I think it's, it's really the thoughts you're thinking about that weight that make all the difference. And so you can get to the bottom of that. And maybe it is true, but it, it breaks my heart sometimes. Like someone the other day told me if I could just lose eight pounds, I would be happy. And I'm like, that's, that's not necessarily true. You know, maybe you might be happier, but it's, it's like, why an eight, an eight pound difference? That's not a crazy difference to make, right? So I'm, I'm glad that you called that out. Um, or I'm glad that you said those reasons behind that. So when people, when you're working with people who are struggling with the munching and the snacking and the binging, how do you help them? Or what are the first few steps you use to get them to be more mindful with their food habits? Great question. Because a lot of this is so mindless right it's so mm-hmm. just like just automatic um and I, I, the first thing I, I tell people is always that I want them to be completely like open on honest about when these situations occur because only then can we start to like really dig deep into why they happen um and what we use that break the chain exercise for them to start being aware of their triggers earlier in the day or earlier in the week that might be similar to those events over time and then using just cbt based exercises like journals or even specific worksheets for these clients who have these behavior patterns can be really really useful because as soon as you stop to get a pen and paper out it's like how can you there's there's nothing more being aware than that like even just mm-hmm. trying to type type notes on your laptop as, as you mentioned you know you could be doing work on kind of one thing while also like looking at a youtube video or watching tv in the background and kind of like typing <laughs> out and not really yeah. paying attention to anything but if i ask you to to get this you know to get a journal out and a pen and and to answer questions to specific questions of okay why you know where's this feeling coming from how how can i rate this feeling on a scale of one to ten what feeling am i feeling is is mm-hmm. it hunger or is it is it an emotion and, and we give clients the feelings wheel to start to get better at emotional labeling and distinguishing sort of facts and feelings and emotions and all the rest of it. 
and you can start to think okay where's the where's it coming from how intense am i feeling this feeling is snacking right now going to be the thing that i want to do you know like mm-hmm. do i really want to eat this cookie now will i enjoy this cookie more or later is is it because i'm actually bored or emotional or whatever and then what's the best action for me like it is eating this cookie going to help me feel less lonely right or do i need to call a friend or do i need to do an activity that's going to be good for my body yeah, am i bored absolutely. do i do i need to go for a walk do i need to read a book do i need to explore an evening hobby perhaps because every evening I find myself snacking and actually it's just because I'm bored Mm -hmm. now when you write things down I think so many people when they hear the word journaling they roll their eyes they're like yeah and and I have I've had so many clients that are like I really am resistant to journaling and I like it whatever but I I have found so much benefit from writing things down myself, even if it's not the specific feeling well, which I think is a great exercise. Um, but even if you just do a thought dump of whatever's in your mind right now yeah. can be helpful. You know, it doesn't, yeah. and I think journaling gets a bad rap because it's like this kumbaya, they think it has to be like meditative, spend an hour on a mountain with a goat journey. Yeah. And it's like, no, it can be five minutes of writing down your thoughts um, and stuff like that. It seems to work yeah. very, very well. It does. It does because it's it's bringing your thoughts and feelings into awareness, mm-hmm. whereas before they'll actually just they'll sit there in the clouds. And yeah. well, and it know, forces you, you to slow down because you can't write as fast as you think, too. No, you, and you can't type it because, like, I'm a blitz typer, so <laughs> yeah, fast. Me too. But but handwriting, my writing is terrible. But <laughs> in terms <laughs> yeah. of legibility, I I can read it, which is all that matters. But as you Sometimes said, it's like, I look at my handwriting and I worry about myself. <laughs> like, how yeah. do I do this? And my handwriting is like that. But anyway, it's like, it's like a five-year-old kids. But, yeah. but the thing is, is that it mindfulness also gets a bad rap. Mm-hmm. But the act of being mindful, as you mentioned, is not sitting on a mountaintop with a yoga mat, listening to Kumbaya for several hours and saying um mm-hmm. and, yeah. and writing things down as you said a journal can be as simple as doing a brain dump like mm-hmm. doing a journal before bed has massively helped a load of my clients sleep better because it gets the right. thoughts and feelings out of the head and onto paper and then they're like oh wow i don't i'm not worrying about all these things anymore and sitting down to meditate for three to five minutes every day has helped more of my clients become more mindful with their eating because mm-hmm. they're starting to they discover how to do a mind body scan and they're like all oh, right okay i am actually feeling x y and z i didn't realize that before because they hadn't actually ever slowed down to check in with their body every time yeah. they had a five minute break let's make a cup of tea let so british let's make a cup of tea <laughs> let's let's look at my phone let's uh watch a cat video on YouTube. It's not a case of I've got a five minute break between meetings. Why don't I meditate for five minutes? Mm-hmm. How can I feel? How can I fill this blank space? Yeah, I'm totally guilty of it too. Uh, I mean, I try to meditate sometimes, but I'll still find myself like, oh, let me just go check my phone really quickly off a call, immediately do that. And it's like, yeah, why? You're just staring at a screen for hours. You need to check in. But when you slow down, I think of it, the metaphor I think of often is, um, when you're in traffic or, or you're driving and there's lots of things going around, it's really hard to think properly. And someone asks you a question and you're just like, I need yeah. to concentrate on what's going on. And so you yeah. to, to figure out what's going on, you need to pull over and slow down and check in. 
right? Yeah. And I think that's a helpful thing because when you're going, 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 you don't recognize everything that's happening because you're a human being that can only focus on so many things at one time. Yes, and it's there's a funny meme about like uh, like dads driving being like, oh, you, do you all remember the time when your dad used to turn down the radio so they could see better? And but <laughs> yeah, you're, but you're right in that like if there's mm-hmm. something else affecting a sense, you're kind of like, no, I I need to pay attention to this, and this is distracting me. It's not the fact you can't see very well; it's that it's it's numbing the distraction for you to pay attention to something important. And yeah, you need to think better. Yeah, and 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 I use the app, um, the Headspace app for my meditation, and they they click up like little uh, push notifications through the day. And one of them the other day was like, next time you go for a drive, try having like no music or radio on at all, and be Ooh. uber uber checked into your drive. And I was like, oh, I don't I, I don't think I want to do that. You know, like I I'm know. driving f- 15, 20 minutes at a time. Like I like my music. I like mm-hmm. I like my jams, but you know. It's it's an interesting exercise. I'm gonna. I wrote it down. I haven't. I've heard of it. I haven't tried it yet. So I'll do that because it sounds uncomfortable. I, I would never want to drive here without music or anything like that. Yeah, but yeah. I'm sure, honestly, I would be a better driver if I didn't have any distractions. So yeah, that's what I. Mm-hmm. Well, when it comes to so I again, I have like a whole list of questions for you here. Um, <laughs> good. But you've been super informative lately, or the whole time uh i mean obviously you said the most common issue you you see people struggling with is emotional eating binge type habits that sort of stuff the one thing that you were saying you're talking about all these exercises and they're all very helpful but what do you say to those people who really think it's just them and they don't want to try any of those things they feel like it's not going to work a really good question resistance is a big part of coaching right Mm -hmm. and uh, I've done a lot of work in um, improving my coaching ability over the last couple of years and one of which was like a lot of research into motivational interviewing I don't know if you know of the the coaching framework Um, Uh, the MI coaching yeah Mm -hmm. and their 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 big uh, their big piece is always like respecting the autonomy of the client right and obviously validating their experiences their thoughts their feelings and not trying to push your agenda onto a client and there was a big um quote from one of my mentors it was like you know client coach agenda uh like times a certain factor will equal like x amount of client resistance so it's like whether whenever you try to force a client to do something the more they'll push back at you whether you think that's the right path for them or not and so it's for me it's open-ended questions are are the light bulb for every client because you want the client to be formulating their thoughts into words and then if you can reflect those words back to them even if it's just a direct reflection a simple reflection Mm -hmm. of their exact words back to them they can hear that and then think to themselves okay that doesn't sound right to me or you might then ask them a few open-ended questions and then say why do you think that is or mm-hmm. i'm i'm really i'm really interested in why you have that opinion and and it's so important to do these over a, a call like you and i are having now as opposed to by a message because a message or an email like why do you think that can be interpreted as such a like a well you're wrong you idiot right. Yeah. <laughs> whereas actually uh, you read text messages the tones can be so off like why so do you bad. read me 
Yeah, and it's yeah. like, no, it just was asking a question. Yeah, exactly, right? And it's like, if you interpret that question as a as a slight at, at any time, like you'll lose the client. So it's it's got to be done with such sort of compassion and genuine interest as to why that they hold that belief, whether you believe it to be true or not. Mm-hmm. And these clients may have tried so many different things and failed, which is why their, their self-efficacy is through the floor. And as you ask them, okay, what have you, what have you tried and what kind of things worked, what kind of things didn't work and why, why do you think you hold those beliefs? And you've got to kind of eventually win these clients over to pointing out their bright spots and their superpowers, you know, the things that they've done well in their life, the things that they do well in their life right now, the things that they've achieved and how they've achieved them. Because over time, the more you can show these clients where they're successful and how those skills could cross over to helping them overcome these negative habits, mm-hmm. they'll start to, they'll start to open up to like new ways but it's it's got to be client led you know i know i never i never force a journal or a worksheet onto my client it's very much a case of if you're interested in hearing about it i've got a worksheet that may help this situation and then right. they might say oh okay tell me about it and i'll say right the worksheet's this and this is how it's done is this something that you might be interested in and if they say no it's like okay well i won't give it to you <laughs> yeah yeah i won't force you to do it i'm not gonna email it in a ps ps here's that worksheet just make sure Mm -hmm. it's done by next week you know we're not we're not teachers giving homework yeah i sometimes like well we'll set a weekly goals for clients if they like that but again it's goals that they've come up with so yes because then if you sometimes you set assignments for people and again even if you're not working with a coach if you start setting goals for yourself they're important but you start being like not maybe achieving those then you start avoiding looking at those goals again and the same thing if you're working with a coach you'll start avoiding talking to that coach being honest with them because you feel like you failed whatever the the stuff is Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's a tricky balance because sometimes it's hard as a coach because sometimes you know there are things that will work and then clients can be really resistant to it right and so asking questions kind of getting to the root of like well why don't you want to do this thing that maybe could be really beneficial to you I think is a great way to go about it and kind of like you said giving them their own autonomy because at the end of the day if you're pushing that on them no one likes to be told what to do even if it's the right thing to do yeah yeah well and even if they've come to you for that advice and are are paying you for your services it's it's like a Ask, asking permission for that advice is always the best way to go about it right mm-hmm. yeah yeah I have some clients who though they will come they've been never had coaching before co- coaching before and they they think it's going to be, be me just telling them what to do and actually I'm asking them a bunch of questions and they're like what is this but then they find it really helpful because of the same thing you said when you're forced to say those things out loud you kind of hear maybe the errors in it or what doesn't really make sense, the non-consistent things or inconsistent things. So, yeah. So let me t- ask you, completely switching gears here. I, since I didn't ask you in the beginning, which is when I usually do, tell us a bit about you. How did your fitness journey start um, and how's it going? Going all right at the moment, to be fair. Uh, okay. I, I joke about, you know, for, for me, like I've not got any outlandish um specific goals or anything like that and for me with my fitness that works perfectly well because for me it's just about staying healthy and being consistent with my training which means I just need to enjoy it and and make sure I set kind of a a habit of, of going x amount a week at a certain time and that's what keeps me going 
because if I if I'm too flexible with my schedule like I can put it off mm-hmm. in terms of when I started I was always um a bigger bloke and as such I found myself not massively sporty as a kid but then as I got into my teenage years I was uh, encouraged to start a game called rugby rugby union mm-hmm. in, in in England um and found that I was quite good at it because of my size and because my my dad had always played rugby when he was a a kid and my brother and I uh, did play a lot of games together so although I wasn't massively physically active I I had good coordination and all the rest of it so I I took to rugby really well and and played that all through my teenage years and didn't really ever formally like go to the gym or anything until I hit university um and fast forward a couple of years, I, w- I was introduced to CrossFit mm, okay. and, cr- and CrossFit I took to um, like a duck to water, really. I-, I enjoyed the competitive nature of it. I enjoyed the group nature of it, the camaraderie, um, yeah. the community, particularly coming from rugby. That was what I'd enjoyed about team sports, you know, the community aspect of it all and the fun as well as the competitive nature and the pushing yourself and all the rest of it. So I, I-, I fell in love with it really I, I became absolutely obsessed but but with that I I entered a very sort of dark world of of um weight stigma and um sort of body it, it did become quite body dysmorphic for me because I was always perceived as the like the chubby guy the bigger mm. guy and uh, I struggled with those thoughts a lot um as I got better at CrossFit and it even became my career I became a full-time coach I still felt like I was too fat and it was it was difficult and I ended up hiring a nutrition coach to help because I I'd done so many different diets by this point I was 24 by this point I'm 31 now so it's quite a few years ago and um I'd done so many different diets I'd done meal plans I'd done the paleo diet I tried the zone diet I tried doing just eating clean whatever that means you know I tried whole 30 and all, all the rest of these things to no avail and and this nutrition coach I hired was an old rugby friend of mine who had been posting these before and after photos of of people doing flexible dieting and and he won me over because of the whole like you know you can eat cereal and get lean and I was like that just sounds like magic to me so I need to hear more about this this magical potion that this man is selling um and as such I was entered into the world then of macro tracking you know and and being very specific with protein carbohydrates and fats because I was training I was training twice a day crossfit training um I was walking about 25 to 30,000 steps every day because I was a crossfit coach coaching sort of five to six hours a day living in london which meant i had to you know walk to the tube station take the tube get off the tube at the other end walk to the gym do all of my classes do all of my training walk about during the day to kind of get food and coffee and all the rest of it um and then walk back home and do that same journey Mm -hmm. so on a fat loss diet i was on like three thousand three hundred calories or something obscenely high so you know, from, from a guy who I worked out the calories that I was on from following like one of my stricter meal plans. And it was something like 2000 or like 2,500. 
and I was losing weight on like 3,100, 3,300. So, so knowing what I know now, I was like, man, no wonder you were getting so tired through the week that led into such like horrific weekend binges. Cause that's what I was doing before. It was like oh, wow. eat clean during the week, binge on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and I was, a thing I, a lot of people find is that they can eat clean for a certain amount of time and then go crazy on the weekends or binge and then try to pick it back up again. Like it catches yeah. up to you vow to be good again on monday and it's like you know that's the diet mentality i was talking to you about before that's Mm -hmm. that's the restriction thing of like i'm trying to be good and then you end up binging and and trying again and macros for me felt like i'd kind of overcome that but what was interesting is that despite me starting to get much leaner and perform far better i still was chasing numbers on the scale and I was chasing like, I need to be 85 kilos. I need to be 85 kilos. I was like, no idea why I had this number in my head, but it was like, I need to be 85 kilos. Mm-hmm. And I look back at pictures of when I was, I was competing in the British championships of CrossFit. And there's a picture of me in a workout and I'm, you know, really, really lean, really shredded. And, and during that weekend, I remember I was still on fat loss macros. Wow. And it's a, you know, like a competition weekend. For a championship. I, yeah. Yeah, and I, I and I, I didn't do very well, uh, and and felt and felt pretty gutted about it. And I binged the evening of that final day of competition. Like, went out to dinner with my friends, had like two main meals, had mm-hmm. two desserts, I think. And they were like, you know, Johnny, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I've competed. You know, I need the energy. And then like went home oh. and had like bags of like chocolate and sweets and things like that. And it's like, oh, oh that's man, so I'm- sad. Yeah, like I, really. I feel horrific. for that younger Johnny. That's that that sucks. Um, and and it's funny because I I thought macros had kind of like helped me find a balance, but then years years later, as I was analysing that period, because after I stopped macros, I put a fair bit of body fat back on, and I was like, yeah, macros for me had just become another diet, and I and, and then when I wasn't tracking or I went a little bit over, I felt like a failure, and then that would lead to a binge. And it was like, yeah, that's, it's just compensatory behavior. Um, and and it's, as, as we spoke about the other week, when I look back at those behaviors, I can recognize the bulimia that I had of like trying to exercise my food all the time. Like right. I'd be like, you know, oh, I need to do X amount of steps because I need to earn the macros that I'm going to eat. Or I need, oh, I've only trained once today. I need to do another training session because otherwise I'll put body fat on or, mm-hmm. And then, and then the, the, the body dysmorphia I had of still trying to lose weight despite being really, really lean. And yeah. I look back at the smaller body I have, I had then. And I know that I'm like, I'm much happier now in all aspects of my life. So it's like, I don't need to chase that weight or that figure. And, and so it's interesting taking it back to that conversation we had of like, oh, I'll be happy if I weigh X. Like I can hundred percent tell you now that that, that won't be the case. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you wanted to get to that point, it seemed like you'd have to sacrifice a lot. Why Why do you, I think a lot of people listening, they might hear that and think, oh my God, like he's, he's just given up or something. But why do you think you are happier now, even though you don't maybe have that shredded lean look? Well, cause like, so that, that for me was back in 2014, 2015, 2015, it was July, 2015. So it was just after my 25th birthday was that competition. I think it was actually the weekend of my 25th birthday and oh, wow. we were okay. out, we were out, out for my 25th birthday. That was what the meal was, um, which was another reason to treat myself. And 
when I started looking more into nutrition coaching myself, because that was what started my journey into this, this world of nutrition coaching versus CrossFit coaching. And I started reading up about, I mean, for years, I was still a macro coach for people, you know, providing people with macros and doing flexible dieting and still kind of trusting a lot in that, despite having seen my own exit out of that world. I still believed that that was the best way for people to lose fat because that's what had worked for me, despite it obviously in the end, not working for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't until I started doing a lot more in the psychology of eating habits and behavior change that I started to recognize the disordered eating habits of my younger self, look at why they happened and then think, oh, wow, that's quite interesting. And to answer your question about why do I feel like I'm happier now, my life back then was so focused on these external goals I had of reaching a certain weight or being of a certain physique or reaching a certain CrossFit um, position in, in the competitions that there was no balance to my life whatsoever. Like I was training all the time I was working in the mornings and the evenings of a gym, which meant I was literally spending all of my day in a gym. And then on a weekend, what would I do? I'd be training or prepping my food. Mm. And it's like, I wouldn't drink alcohol. I wouldn't really go out with my friends or my my girlfriend of the time. I mean, there was a time my girlfriend at the time um, wanted to take me out for a meal or something like as a treat. And I was like, no, I can't because I've got no macros left. Uh, right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> missing like Your just world missing so much out smaller it sounds just, and and i had no like other hobbies outside of work or the gym and like right. anything else to live for or or anything and and i had such a lack of self compassion for myself as well in that if i didn't hit my macros i felt like a failure if i didn't do my training sessions i felt like a failure if i had a bad day training why why aren't i better at crossfit you know like there was just i was just so hard on myself all the time and I, and, and I was for years, actually, it was only the, as I said, last year when I was doing the, the, co- the sort of coaching certification that I'm redoing now, when we had a whole module on self-compassion, I was able to see how low in self-compassion I was and mm-hmm. how that had led to quite dark mental health days yeah, for myself sure. and through cultivating a better self-compassionate practice, looking more mindfully, um, doing more journaling and then creating a more well-rounded life where I have internal motivation to exercise yes but I'm not my worth isn't based on me hitting external goals and I also have this hugely well-rounded life of friends family hobbies and and all the rest of it like I've got so much more about me than CrossFit whereas Mm -hmm. that Johnny the only thing that that Johnny had was CrossFit and and that I mean to be fair I've only just sort of thought about this now that might have been because I had a kind of failed musical theater career and then oh. I'd, I'd used CrossFit to kind of replace it. I, you know, I've only just sort of made that connection. Yeah. So there's a lot of things there as well. I, um, when my eating disorder started, um, both, so I struggled with an eating disorder in high school briefly, and then also in my early, you know, twenties and both of them became an issue when I had transitioned to a different thing. Like I had lost mm-hmm. kind of my friend group, and I was in a different new location and didn't know anyone. And so both those times, the eating disorder became something that was very comforting and structural to me. It became my identity. And like like you, like you, I didn't really make that connection until much later when I had to explain it to someone. I'm like, oh, right. I mean, that makes sense. There was a huge transitional yeah. period. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is crazy, that, isn't it? And 
I, I don't feel like people give that enough credence in that although we're we're taught in the act of mindfulness that impermanence is like the only common denominator of life is that everything always changes big things like moving house or moving job or losing certain things or whatever losing friendship groups or losing someone in your life like there's such big shifts in your life and identity that they can create really big imbalances that if you don't if you don't work through and address at the time like if you're not mentally self-aware that that that's a change you're going through it can create really big shifts in patterns for people that they're not happy with yeah and you can get swept away with it pretty quickly without realizing it and yeah i think also when you are isolated it can, can be 10 times worse which in both my situations i was very isolated and so you unless you have people around you sometimes you can't see what you're doing like and how maybe disordered or not okay it really is or how not normal it is um but thank you for sharing the fitness journey with you for, with us because like i i think a lot of people can relate and i'm sorry that you struggled with that obviously but at the same time it brought you here and I'm helping people yeah. through it. So yeah, I always yeah. look at, you know, my own journey. I'm like, you know, it was painful. I wish I, my younger self didn't have to go through it, but at the same time, it's part of life. And now I can, we can both pass on our knowledge to other people. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it obviously was difficult, but it's not, not without cause. And yeah. yeah, you're able to overcome those things, aren't you? And then learn from it. And if that helps other people as well, then it's a good thing. Yeah. So one last question I'd like to ask you before we end off the podcast, you've been great, is what would you say to someone out there listening who is struggling? If you could say anything else in case we missed it to someone who's struggling with binge eating or disordered eating and feels kind of hopeless, what would you say to them? I would remind them of that need for self-compassion because when we're going through those sorts of situations it can be very easy to berate ourselves and ask why we're going through this when other people don't you know why am i struggling with this when other people make it look so easy to not have these issues why am i so broken or why am i so stupid or why am i so unmotivated or lazy or or just you know insert negative self-comment here mm -hmm. and, and the more that you can catch yourself berating yourself the more that you can create awareness over your lack of self-compassion and then you can start to create more positive self-talk and there's a really big difference between positive affirmations that are kind of like airy fairy statements of like oh i am the best person in the world and i i earn yeah. ten thousand pounds a second and, and all of these other things <laughs> versus positive self-talk is like you root positive self-talk within fact like mm -hmm. if you've got a good job or you've got great friends or you know how would your how would your parents view you how would your friends view you what would they say about you um they'd they'd say very positive things about your character and your abilities and if you can collect a bunch of these and and recite them to yourself regularly you can start to cultivate this better self-talk and I get a lot of my clients to use this thought record sheet when they have negative self-talk around what thought or feeling am I having? I feel like mm -hmm. I'm a failure. How intense am I feeling this? Where has it come from? What would an alternative viewpoint be? And what would I tell a friend in the same situation? And that yeah. thought process of what would I tell a friend in the same situation 
that question in and of itself usually brings the client to a more compassionate answer that they can then replace that thought with because we're so much more compassionate with other people than we are ourselves mm-hmm. and yeah. funnily enough that lack of self-compassion can lead to a lot of problematic behaviors down the line absolutely um i think that, that what would you say to a friend who came to you in the same situation i asked that question a lot too because it's so much easier when you think about it outside yourself and when you think about the other people that you care about. And it's like the way you're looking at those people, your friends are looking at you the same way and you would not be treating a friend the way you're treating yourself. And you're right that again, self-compassion, it sounds so cringy, sounds so like, but it is helpful if you're trying, I mean, you can push yourself to do a lot through hate hating yourself you can Mm. but it's a miserable experience and so and then you really feel burnt out and awful and depressed so I think trying to motivate yourself through kindness and positive affirmations but you know things founded in facts like you said just 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 so much better mental experience and I you know you want the process to be enjoyable not just the goals yeah exactly and that's the thing right is that get get your external it's, it's okay to have external goals you know because like it's great to have a destination like if i'm going on a road trip i want to know where i'm going and that's <laughs> yeah. my that's my external outcome and then my internal you know my action steps towards that goal will be like the route i plan to get there or like am i going to drive am i going to take the train am i going to take the bus am i going to fly that's your action uh, external action steps which are within your control because whether you reach that destination isn't necessarily in your control you're you know, you can get hit by another car or your train could get cancelled or bus mm-hmm. breaks down, all the rest of it. But your internal motivation is your reason for wanting to go there in the first place. Like, I yeah. want to go to London because I want to uh, enjoy some great shows or, or whatever. And with internal motivation, we can be like, I want to exercise because I enjoy exercise and I want to be the value of a healthy person. Great, let's let's use that. And with this positive self-talk, there's a misconception around self-compassion that self-compassion is about taking the easy route and letting yourself off the hook and that's not what self-compassion is at all because actually if that's the worst thing for you that's not being self-compassionate being self-compassionate is doing the hard thing because that's what's right for you it's doing the workout when you don't really want to but you know that it's going to help you reach your goals and you know that you'll feel better afterwards so you Mm -hmm. go and do that workout because you're you've you've written it down it's your action plan okay it's different if you're like unwell if you're physically sick right you've take the, there. T- take the day off the gym but mm-hmm. you know if you, if you just can't be bothered to get out of bed and it's a bit cold it's like staying in bed <laughs> isn't being self-compassionate going to the gym is so it's like yeah. we need to understand the difference between self-compassion and what's letting yourself off the hook and um for your listeners That's an excellent way to phrase it i think because people they do think it's the easy way out and I, i've said it no. in a different way which is like doing the hard thing is sometimes an act of love which sounds a lot more woo but it really is an act of love for yourself to get yourself to the gym when you're feeling like you just can't be bothered you know like you just can't um it's you're gonna you're going to thank yourself later for doing something like that so you're right it is sometimes doing the hard thing self-compassion exactly and there's a website self-compassion.org that goes into a lot of what self-compassion actually is and there's mm-hmm. even then a test that you can take that will give you a self-compassion score. And then there are resources there that will help you develop more self-compassion based on the score that you receive as well. Wow. Thank you for the resource. I'm sure I know like tons of people are just like writing it down right now. I, I just did. So I'll check that out. 
Okay, oh. well, you've been an amazing wealth information, and it's been excellent talking you. with you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Where can people uh, find you? Uh, well, thank you so much for your kind words and for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, and for people to find out more about me, the best place is just on Instagram. You know, my Instagram handle is um, at Johnny Landells, which is J-O-N-N-Y-L-A-N-D-E-L-S. Uh, of course, you know, you can direct them to the, the correct link in the show notes, I'm sure. Yeah, they will be in the show notes for sure. So, um, yeah, and that's then the best your, place. Your company is called Next Step Nutrition, right? Yes. So nextstepnutrition.co.uk. We've got some helpful blogs and stuff on there if you like to read. Um, I've got a podcast known as Next Step Espresso. Um, mm -hmm. So people can check that one out as well if they want to listen to it. has over more. 700 episodes. I saw that I today and I was like, what yeah. on earth? going on here it's crazy but and they're all bite-sized bits um, not all of them some of them are like 40 minutes but a lot of them are yeah. just quick five to six minutes of very direct advice and help i thought that was brilliant yeah that's the thing it's a monday to thursday so like a five to ten minute shot uh and then the friday i usually have a guest on sometimes i'm not as organized but i'm i'm making a pack that every every friday this year we'll have a guest on i've, I've sorted myself out Good for you. Yeah, I try to um, every other Friday have guests on the podcast. Sometimes if I'm not being on it, then it doesn't happen. But I, I totally understand. Yeah, you yeah. get it. All right. Thank you, Johnny, for being on. I appreciate you being here. Yeah. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Yeah, yeah of course.